Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled you're with us. Tell you, I have had a busy day, all 2A related. <laughs> you hear me pitch my Essentials of Indiana gun law class uh, often here on the show. And yes, I have another one coming up in February, on February 24th. But uh, I had a sold-out class uh, at Indy Arms today. Had a great group, full room. Uh, a lot of people uh, very engaged, asking really good questions. But this is all of five hours, um, at least today it was, because we had a lot of discussion, a lot of questions, a lot of hypotheticals. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, I really like it when people are, are very attentive and enthusiastic as they tend to be. And this group was no exception. And then I taught a private handgun class to an, a gentleman who had signed up for a private class. And since he was coming to the gun law class and was going to be right there at Indy Arms, it was a great place to teach a private class. And then I had to hop in the car and hustle my butt on down here and get behind the microphone to do the gun guy show. So it's a, it's a full day, but a fun day. And a satisfying one. And I'm going to get out of here, uh, being at the lovely downtown uh, studios at 40 Monument Circle, get out of here and uh, get on the road. Uh, People, I think, are going to be coming the other direction because we've got a a home uh, Colts game tonight, and then we've got a home Pacer game going on at the same time. So tonight, tonight, uh, downtown's going to be hopping. I'm going to be heading the opposite direction. Uh, Get home and... uh, and I don't have tickets to this game, so I'm uh, going to be watching it on TV. But a big Colts game. I know you don't turn into the Gun Guy Show to get a sports discussion. But uh, basically, if the Colts win this game, they're in the playoffs. And, you know, the over and under from Vegas on how many games the Colts were going to win this year was four and a half. And they've doubled that. And uh, and they've exceeded all expectations, mostly with either a, a rookie quarterback at the beginning of the year uh, and then um, a sub uh, substitute uh, in the form uh, uh, of, uh, of our of our quarterback now. And uh, and anyway, so we got a backup quarterback and uh, and a lot of folks um that uh, weren't necessarily expected to perform at the level they have. That's uh, that's exciting. So I'm hoping for some Minshew magic uh, from uh, from our, our backup quarterback, who's done, a, I think, a great job this year. But that's all I'll say about that. But I'm excited, and I'm going to be tuned in uh, to that game uh, at uh, 8.15, I think, is when that one starts. But in the meantime, we've got a lot to talk about on the Second Amendment front. And a lot of the news uh, here focused recently is on the announcement that just came out yesterday at least that's when I saw it, is that Wayne LaPierre is stepping down as CEO and executive vice president of NRA, the National Rifle Association. And listen, um, the NRA gets really mixed reviews and a really mixed reaction. You go out on social media, um, on some of the gun-related pages that, that I'll go check out from time to time, and mention the NRA, 
And a lot of times, the first 10 comments you get are going to be some use of profanity uh, and NRA associated with each other. Uh, a lot of, you know, uh, quote unquote, screw the NRA type stuff. Because a lot of people have uh, lost faith in or, or lost patience in the NRA, including a lot of gun owners. And I've, I've got real mixed emotions about that. And I've been very consistent with what I've been saying about NRA for quite some time. But, but where did this come from? And, and you know, for a gun owner, for a gun owner to turn uh, really against and become critical of what has historically been the leading gun rights organization in the country and the leading defender of the Second Amendment, as far as nonprofit organizations go, uh, you know, that, that takes some doing. And I think some of it's absolutely fair and some of the criticism they've, they've gotten. And I think a lot of the criticism uh, directed at Wayne LaPierre specifically as leader of the NRA is completely warranted. And I personally am glad to see him go. I wish he would have gone some time ago. He's been CEO and, and executive vice president, essentially the leader of NRA, so I think it's like 91 or something, um, a really long time, over 30 years. And and during that time, I think, is when NRA has really lost a lot of prestige. And they've also lost a lot of money, and they've also lost membership. And this is all related. It's all connected. And a lot of it, I think, falls right at the doorstep of Wayne LaPierre. And listen, one of the leading criticisms that you get from NRA, and some of the criticisms of NRA are absolutely warranted and, and based on facts. Some of it, I think, is a little unfair. But a lot of the criticism is based on the fact that NRA became known for compromise. That is, they were willing to concede gun control measures. They would, they would give up some ground as part of a negotiation process if they felt like they were preserving ground uh, or preserving freedoms is a better word uh, in some other area. And for instance, I mean, this goes all the way back to 1986, and probably before, but in 1986, we had the we had the Firearm Owners Protection Act, which is a an appropriate name as to some of that act, but is absolutely not appropriate for others, because for instance, in the Firearm Owners Protection Act in 1986, it's got a safe passage provision. A lot of us call it, which is a way to travel with firearms cross country, as long as you're legal at your point of origin and legal at your destination. You can travel through other states where the firearms you're, you're carrying may not be legal uh, as long as they're unloaded and in a locked container uh, separate from the passenger compartment. And and I'm paraphrasing, so check that out and just Google Firearm Owners Protection Act, Protection Act of 1986 and see the specifics. But basically, you have an unloaded firearm that's locked up and 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 is is in the trunk for instance or in a locked container if your vehicle doesn't have a trunk separate from any ammunition you can go cross country and travel through states where your firearm may not be legal and that that's what the firearm owners protection act of 86 did for us and that's significant now do i trust that necessarily do i think every law enforcement officer in illinois is going to know that i can pass through illinois with my quote unquote unregistered assault weapon because there's new uh, there is new legislation in Illinois on that very issue, and and if you hear me use the word assault weapon, uh, don't don't call the studio and yell at me for using a term that's merely a political term that is made up to demonize the most commonly owned rifles in America. I know this, and I've been saying that for a long time. I just use it because that's the term used um, 
by the politicians when they pass these statutes. You and I know that assault weapon is a, a silly political term. But your semi-automatic rifle with a detachable magazine that holds multiple rounds, what you and I would call a standard capacity magazine, that's now been banned in Illinois. Although, if they're currently owned, you can register them and make them legal. And how how, how enthused would you be about doing that? Yeah, I live in Illinois. I own my AR-15. I own multiple 30-round magazines. And I'm going to go register that firearm by make model and serial number and give that information to the government. What could go wrong? A whole heck of a lot. But that's a separate topic. And I'll, I'll get to that because, by the way, we're seeing massive noncompliance with that law, given some deadlines uh, coming up here, I believe, on January 10th. But but the Firearm Owners Protection Act, to return to that, that's where you can, you can travel through Illinois, theoretically, assuming the officers there understand the law, and be legal even though you're carrying a firearm that's now banned in Illinois, as long as you're legal in a place where you left your origin and, and, and legal in your destination. Of course, you have to be able to prove where you came from and where you're going, so like a hotel reservation or something along those lines would be necessary. But, but And that's a nice thing. That's a, that's a nice provision of the Firearms, Firearm Owners Act, I can say it, Firearm Owners Protection Act 1986. But what else do we get out of, out of that act? And what was supported by Ronnie Reagan, at least he signed it. He was in office at this time in 1986. But also reportedly signed, and or at least supported, is, a, is, is the more proper term, by the National Rifle Association. It's what we call the Hughes Amendment. And the Hughes Amendment was slipped into the Firearm Owners Protection Act in 1986, and it made any automatic firearm... That is a firearm where when you pull the trigger, you get more than one round out of the muzzle. It made that illegal if you hadn't already registered that firearm prior to, I believe it was April 19th, 1986. So if you didn't own it and possess it prior to that time, if it hadn't been imported or sold prior to that time, you couldn't register any firearm after that as fully automatic. You've had to register them since 1934 under the National Firearms Act. So if you hadn't already registered it, then it banned the importation or sale of any additional fully automatic firearms and and, and prohibited the, the additional registration of any firearms after 1986. So we essentially, we didn't eliminate the legality of fully automatic firearms, but we capped the number of them in civilian hands as of then and dramatically inflated the value, I mean, what would what an what an M sixteen, a Vietnam era, fully automatic M sixteen, what that was worth prior to the Hughes Amendment of the NRA, something or excuse me of the of the uh, Firearm Owners Protection Act. See, I've been talking all day. Now I'm getting tongue tied. Before the Firearm Owners Protection Act made additional registration or import or sale of automatic firearms illegal. The, the value before that. Act was passed, and the value after these automatic firearms is there's no proportion. I mean, people are out there getting thirty thousand dollars for an automatic firearms, like a a Tommy gun, a Thompson submachine gun, typically forty five caliber. It's fully automatic, or other guns that uh, that, were, that were registered before nineteen eighty six that are transferable, therefore legal. Dramatically inflated that market. I mean, by 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 many many multitudes. 
and and NRA supportedly uh, reportedly supported that, and it got a lot of criticism, and and a lot of people have been holding a grudge ever since, and that was 1986. It's almost 40 years ago. But then what happened? What have we ha- what have we seen happen since then? I'll tell you what. We're at the quarter hour. We're going to take a break. I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of this animosity directed at NRA. Why I think that is. And um, and where we go from here now that Wayne LaPierre has has has, has stepped down uh, for, as chief executive officer and president or executive vice president of NRA, he he has been the leader of NRA uh, as CEO. Make no mistake. But we'll talk a little bit more about that history and where we are now, and also begin to take your calls. Give us a call. Join the discussion. Three one seven two three nine ninety three ninety three. That's three one seven two three nine ninety three ninety three. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on ninety three WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Uh, as I mentioned, we always want to take your calls here on the Gun Guy Show. I started as a guest on other people's show where they just had a feature called Ask the Gun Lawyer back in the day. And by the way, I'm I'm uh, this next year, 2024, will be uh, my 10th anniversary of having this show, which is amazing to me. Um, I think a lot of people would never have predicted a pro second amendment show would have that kind of life expectancy. And lo and behold, we've uh, surprised a lot of people, but, um, uh, but I started, like I said, uh, just as a guest on other people's shows and, uh, and it was just purely call in. That's all we did was answer questions. And that's, so that's our heritage. That's why we take calls throughout the two hour show. So you got a question or a comment, especially about, you know, the discussion uh, we're having at the time, give us a call, 317-239-9393. We always like taking calls from our our listeners. Um, But back to the NRA. So really, I think a lot of this started with the Hughes Amendment, where essentially we lost, to a very large degree anyway, we lost the availability of automatic firearms. Um, And can you imagine, though, if those were more widely used today, what the way they talk about semi-automatic firearms and all this assault weapon, this and that, um, I, I can't imagine uh, what like Moms Demand Action and the Bloomberg uh, crowd uh, would be saying about fully automatic firearms. Uh, but, you know, the issue was that we didn't really see crimes committed with them at the time. And it always kind of makes me ask the question when I see various gun control measures. Well, what problem are you trying to fix? I mean, even the so-called assault weapon ban, like, yeah, assault weapon ban that we see, like in Illinois, that's just going into effect as we speak. I mean, how many how many crimes were actually committed with those? Year to year, the FBI reports that, for instance, knives are used in something like four to six times more often in, to commit murders in the United States than all rifles combined with so-called assault weapons, quote-unquote, only comprising a very small percentage of that. In fact, we had an assault weapon ban from 94 to 04. And a study done by the National Institute of Justice, and this is the research arm of the, of the, of the Department of Justice, and 
we had a, a, we had research done as that bill that law was set to expire. The government, the government's own research agency, went out and and studied how much violence was actually prevented by having a quote unquote assault weapon ban on the books for ten years. And they and and their conclusion was, were it to be renewed based on historical facts. The, the, the real difference in terms of violent crime would likely be too small to measure. And that's a quote. And the reason for that is because so-called assault weapons were used in such an incredibly small number of crimes to begin with. Less than 2%. So again, what problems are, 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 are these people trying to pass, trying to fix when they pass these laws? And, and that's certainly true. It would be true if we still had the availability of, of, of automatic firearms. So NRA started getting a lot of criticism uh, over the Hughes Amendment that we saw in 1986. And here much more recently, and I was vocal about this, after the Las Vegas shooting, still the largest mass shooting in terms of fatalities we've seen here in the United States. And it was absolutely horrific. Some of the video is just heart-wrenching. But it's where, where, where a guy broke out some windows of the Mandalay Bay Hotel from an elevated floor and started shooting down at a country music festival across the street. And I've stayed in the Mandalay Bay Hotel. I know exactly where we're talking about. And he had a, a, a an elevated position and was just spraying this country music festival with with firearms. And he reportedly used a bump stock. And I've said here on the show before, I'll, I'll say to the day I die, in, in watching those videos and hearing the audio from the videos that were released, it did not sound like a bump stock to me. That, that sounded like a belt-fed, uh, fully automatic machine gun is what it, it sounded like to me. And I still don't think we're getting the straight scoop. I'm not big on conspiracy theories. I'm not even close to being big on conspiracy theories. I tend to roll my eyes at most. But we're not getting a straight scoop on Vegas. I will continue to believe that. But he reportedly used a bump stock. So what happened immediately after that? The NRA came out and said, we invite the ATF to reassess the legality of bump stocks. The NRA issued a public statement saying that. Now, what were they thinking? I'll guarantee you they were thinking, well, if we give up bump stocks, because nobody really cares about bump stocks. And I'll, I've said often right here on the show, I think bump stocks are stupid. Bump stock is an accessory that allows the stock of the gun essentially to bounce off your shoulder. And you don't need a bump stock to shoot this way. You can do it with a rubber band. You can do it with a belt loop. I've done both. But it makes it easier to allow the gun to bounce off your shoulder. And if you just maintain your finger in a fixed position, as the gun bounces back and forth, it'll cause the gun to fire every time it bounces forward again. You pull the trigger just by holding your gun or your trigger finger steady. And so it can you can fire a gun very rapidly like that. Does it sound somewhat like fully automatic fire? Yes. So since the Las Vegas shooter reportedly used a bump stock, what did we have happen in the aftermath? NRA, I'll guarantee you, was thinking they want, they're going to want to ban assault weapons, which they clearly did. And there's going to be some momentum to banning assault weapons in Congress and some, some, some conservative 
members of Congress may be, may be more swayed to vote in favor of that because we've had this because we've had this horrific shooting. And so NRA clearly thought, well, what if we just give them bump stocks? And like I said, bump stocks are stupid. You're, tra- you're, you're, you're trading accuracy for rate of fire, which in most scenarios is just stupid. You bring a bump stock to my range, even when they were legal, I'm going to roll my eyes at you. So since nobody much cares about bump stocks, let's sacrifice bump stocks as a means of preserving our freedoms in other areas, including avoiding an assault weapon ban, because we'll make them happy with a bump stock ban. But, you know, I, 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 I put out I'm a, a meme that I'm, I put on social media that I created myself. And I said, dear NRA, because I wanted to communicate that they're not understanding. Uh, you would think the NRA, uh, more than anyone else, would know this. These people don't go away. The people that want to assault your gun rights, you don't give them a little bit and they get happy and say, well, I'm done now. It's a war of attrition. It's a war of attrition until they completely gutted the Second Amendment. And they've said, they've put out public declarations on various anti-two-way websites. They're, they're trying to kill the Second Amendment through a death by a thousand cuts. Every little bit they get, all that just ratchets in one direction. You never get any rights back. And, 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 and so I put out a meme that I created, and it said, Dear NRA, when the wolves are at the door, you don't throw them a scrap of meat and expect them to go away. And I thought that very effectively communicated what I was trying to say. All you do is make these people more ravenous. They get to celebrate their success because they've eliminated one gun accessory, and they'll go right on to their next project. And if that's an assault weapon ban, you're going to be facing it the exact same way as you were before. But what you have also done, and this was the huge mistake, and President Trump is the one who called for this. President Trump, right on TV, I was watching the live conference at the time, said, oh, bump stocks, bump stocks are gone. I've told ATF, bump stocks are gone. And the, and the NRA said, we invite the ATF to reevaluate the legality of bump stocks. What is the huge mistake in that? It's not just giving away bump stocks. Again, I don't care about bump stocks as such. If they'd never been invented, it wouldn't have bothered me a bit. What do I care hugely about? I care about precedent where the ATF, with no involvement of Congress, where an administrative agency just goes and rewrites its own regulations and changes a law passed by Congress, in that case, to redefine what an automatic firearm is, so as to include bump stocks. And our, and, and a quote-unquote conservative president being all behind that. I said at the time, you're giving ATF the ability on its own with a full endorsement of NRA and the full endorsement of, 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 of Donald Trump to create the precedent that with the stroke of their pen, remember Obama used to say, well, I can't get any gun control passed in Congress, but I have a phone and a pen? What was he talking about? He was calling... F- for administrative regulation to do what Congress refused to do. What does that violate? It violates the Constitution, and specifically, Article 1, Section 1, that says all legislative power shall be vested in the Congress of the United States. It's called a vesting clause. And there's a reason it's right up front, because only Congress makes laws. 
the executive branch, including administrative agencies that report to the president, don't make laws. But the NRA said, oh yeah, sure, ATF, make bump stocks illegal. Donald Trump said exactly the same thing. And what have we seen since then? What have we seen since then? Ghost guns regulation, you know, so-called ghost guns, another silly term, but homemade, self-made firearms that don't have to be serialized. Now, they're only for personal use. If you transfer one, you sell one, you've just committed a crime under federal law. But all of a sudden, they start making gun parts regulated just like firearms and tried real hard. Uh, they, you know, uh, uh, pistol braces, just through a regulation, should have been written by Congress. They changed the definition of a short-barreled rifle and interpreted uh, pistols with pistol braces on them to be short-barreled rifles that have to be registered under the NFA. And it goes on from there. There are multiple other examples. And all that precedent was set at the instance, even request, of the NRA and Donald Trump. It's not about bump stocks. It's about the precedent of an administrative agency changing a law when only Congress has the legislative ability under Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution. That's what it's about. So I'm out posting publicly being critical of NRA. A lot of other people were too. And again, I think this is a time when NRA started losing credibility because people saw them as simply conceding too much. Now, when we come back, we're well past the bottom of the hour. It's past time to take a break. We come back, I'm going to talk about how I have somewhat of a, I wouldn't say it's love-hate, kind of love-frustration relationship with NRA, because there's a lot to love about NRA, particularly what they do right here at the local level and what they've done historically right here in Indiana and in other states, which is tremendous. And people lose sight of this. And I always want to remember, uh, remind people of this. And I'll get more into that and go to the phone lines where some people have called in. And uh, I want to go to the phone lines. We come back and take anyone else who calls in. Uh, we'll bring you right onto the show. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. Sky Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The show about gun rights, gun safety, and responsible gun ownership. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're glad you're with us. By the way, we love all of our advertisers here on The Gun Guy Show and at 93 uh, WIBC generally. Um, I think it's a little suspect that they run a hair replacement ad during my show. I think I think that's targeted directly at me. And uh, I think, you know, like for instance, anybody watching on the YouTube feed, you know, Colin in is going to say, yeah, you know, looking at Guy... I definitely need to look into hair replacement. I, I, I'm taking that personally. Um, and I say that in complete jest because uh, I've heard great things about that company, although um, I decided 20-some years ago that I was done having hair. I've been shaving it ever since. But I'll tell you what, let's go to the phone, phone lines. Uh, Buzz has called in and been on hold for a while. Buzz, welcome back to the Gun Guy Show, buddy. Hey, happy new year, guys. Thank you. You too, Ben. Okay. My first question is, 
doesn't the murder rate and the violent crime go down once we've established constitutional carry? Yeah, I mean, that that's what most of the statistics have shown, that it either stays the same or goes down. Um, you can cherry pick the data, you know, just take like one year and look at it. But but overall, if you, if you look at all the data across the um, across uh, all the states, and there are 26 states now that have constitutional carry, then uh, that's what the data typically right show. And and I think it's been interesting is that, you know, what we what we heard from the Democrats um, when we were fighting for constitutional carry, was that there was going to be blood in the streets? It was going to dramatically increase uh, the murder rates and, and and murder of police officers and and all these other horrible things, and uh, and yet I I hear from right here in, uh, in in Indianapolis anyway, where I'm sitting here doing the show, the Oxford administration is crowing over the fact that murders are down almost twenty percent in Marion County. And that's since we passed constitutional carry. So they they want to repeal constitutional carry as part of this local gun control that's currently illegal. That's why they passed an ordinance that would do exactly that if the preemption law were repealed or amended to allow them to do so. And there's a bill pending that would let them do just that. They want to repeal constitutional carry after murders are down almost 20%. 18 was the number I saw um, percent since we passed it. Does that make any sense, Buzz? No, not at all. That's why he'll never admit to that. But my next question is, why don't we make a call to uh, Ollie North and see about getting him back into the uh, NRA fold? <laughs> well, I'm going to, after we uh, get through the phone lines here, I'm going to be back to this discussion about NRA. I'm going to talk about Ollie North a little bit and some of that intrigue uh, that occurred. I'll tell you what, let's take uh, another call. Jim's been on hold for a while. Let's go back to the phone lines. And Jim, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, guy. Thanks for everything that you do. Sure. My pleasure. Um, hypothetically, let's say uh, my girlfriend and I, we both have our carry permits. We're out to dinner, and for some reason, I may not have carried my gun, but she has hers in her purse, and something happens, and I grab her gun to protect myself. Is there any you know, recourse? If I use her gun to oh no, and, no. and let's say I have to use it, or vice versa. No, no, not at all, Jim. And, and thanks for asking. I cover um, transfer of firearms in, in the course in, in, uh, that I teach, Essentials of Indiana Gun Law, and I covered that today. But we don't have we don't have gun registration in Indiana or at the federal level. So um, when people will say things like, "Well, that gun's in my name," well, there may be a record in a gun store. Uh, the gun store, if you bought your gun in a gun store, of you being the original purchaser. But that doesn't register that gun to you. That doesn't make that exclusively your gun. If you want to give that to somebody as a gift, as long as you don't know them to be a prohibited possessor, it's totally legal for you to gift that gun and give it to them permanently. Um, you can entrust your gun to another person. You can lend your gun. So somebody wants to go to the range goes, man, I really want to, want to take your Uger, your your new Ruger Security 9, which, by the way, I shot one of those today in this private lesson that I taught, and I was really surprised. It had a really a nice trigger, um, and I'm, I'm going to have to look more at that gun because I did not expect the trigger to be as nice and, and the uh, ergonomics on that gun to be as nice as, 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 as they were. But, um, you know, I, uh, um, you, you can, you can, you can um, allow somebody to... Um, to handle your gun, like I said, somebody wants to wants to borrow your new Ruger Security Nine. 
because uh, they want to shoot it at the range, you can say, here, have a good time. As long as you don't know them to be a prohibited possessor, uh, like a felon or someone who's been found to be, quote unquote, dangerous under the red flag statute. Um, and I cover all the prohibited possessors well, under both state and federal law in my course. But um, yeah, it's totally legal if, if, if you, you don't have any reason to believe that they're a prohibited possessor. So, you know, so a temporary transfer like you're talking about just to use your gun to de- defend defend her and defend yourself um, is totally appropriate. If she wanted to just give you that gun permanently, that's totally appropriate. And I've had people call in and say, well, don't I need to go register my gun if I, uh, like, for instance, get a gun gifted to me by my parents or my grandparents? And, and no. Um, there's no such thing as registration. You go down to your local police department and say, I want to register my gun, they'll look at you like you're crazy. Now, some police departments across the state will voluntarily keep a registration of guns. So if somebody wants to go in and say, hey, I want to give you the make, model, and, and serial number of my gun and have you keep a record of that, so I don't know, um, you will have that if it's stolen or something like that. Some police departments, especially in small towns, I have heard, will do that just as a service. But it's not required. It's not part of the law. So the transfer you're talking about, Jim, would be totally appropriate. And it could be a permanent transfer as well. I'll tell you what, um, we're trying to catch up here. I think we'll be back for a really short segment as we approach the top of the hour. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. Your rights, your responsibilities, your guns. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. Well, welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. It's talking about Wayne LaPierre stepping down as executive vice president and CEO, chief executive officer of NRA. And and a lot of us, uh, I think, are relieved this has happened. And a lot of, a lot of it goes back to what I think can only be seen as some mismanagement in NRA and also allegations. And, and a lot of these seem to have some substance behind them of mismanagement of funds. And I'll go into more detail on that, but also how much NRA is, is, is been spending on litigation costs. And look, I'm a litigation lawyer, so I'm not mad at the lawyers out there uh, representing NRA and trying to preserve them as an effective uh, gun rights organization here in the United States. But some of it goes to what led to all that litigation to begin with, including how NRA has chosen to spend a lot of your money and mine that we've sent in to support that organization in terms of membership fees. And look, I'm a benefactor life member of NRA. I've sent a lot of money to the folks at NRA. And and I believe we need a strong, effective NRA to help us preserve Second Amendment rights in this country, particularly at the federal level. And NRA has been great support for us right here locally, and I'll talk more about that when we come back after the top of the hour. But some of the problems they're having now, including some of the litigation they're embroiled in, are its own damn fault. And some of it comes from the really outlandish spending that we've seen specifically from Wayne LaPierre. And he's spending your money and mine. And I think that's why we have some folks are glad he's gone. I'll get more into all of that and continue to take your calls when we come back. Right now, as we approach the top of the hour, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment 
And this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show, 93 WIBC. So I've been talking quite a bit about NRA and Wayne LaPierre stepping down as executive vice president and CEO. And and I think this is a good thing, but let's take stock of where NRA really is. Reportedly, and, and NRA never releases its actual membership lists or membership numbers. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Specifically. But uh, occasionally they will announce like a milestone of saying they've hit, you know, like 5 million members or they're approaching 6 million members or something along those lines. And and several reports I've seen um, say that uh, NRA membership is down substantially. And 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 listen, make no mistake. A lot of times NRA gets called the you know the mouthpiece of the gun industry. That's uh, that's fully funded by you know uh, gu- uh, um, firearms manufacturers and, or, or or retailers um, or ammunition manufacturers. And and that's really not the case. NRA's grassroots. NRA is a membership organization. Now, it has a, a legislative uh, and lobbying wing called NRA ILA, Institute for Legislative Action. And, and I've worked with NRA uh, ILA a, a lot. And they get their contributions from a number of different sources, and, and, and they won't turn down those contributions. They come in from large organizations. But primarily, the strength of NRA has been as a grassroots organization. Because people aren't just just clicking it uh, on a website, you know, Moms Demand Action will come out and say they have X number of members. That's based on likes on their Facebook page or something. And 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 if you're a member of NRA, it's because you've written a check. Uh, you've gotten your credit card out and, and sent them some money. And you can buy a one-year membership, you can buy a multiple-year membership, you can buy a life membership, and then there are different levels of life membership. I'm, like I said, I'm at the, I don't know, third or fourth or fifth level above just life called Benefactor Life Member. And that's based on the money I've sent in. And I'm just one guy who believes in Second Amendment rights. But that's where NRA gets its power and, and it gets primarily most of its funding is, is from you and me. And, and those people that are not happy with NRA because they don't see NRA as having fought hard enough on issues or being too conciliatory on things like the Hughes Amendment all the way back in 1986 or on bump stocks. And again, I don't know that many people really upset about bump stocks. That's not the issue. The issue is the precedent of ATF simply rewriting a law that really Congress should have rewritten for the law to change under basic constitutional principles and what we call the vesting clause of the Constitution, which says that all legislative power shall be vested in the Congress of the United States. And a legislative agency that's part of the executive branch is not part of Congress. So, and, and you know, the NRA invited that. But also NRA has gotten itself in, in a real financial problems and financial straits because he's gotten embroiled in a lot of litigation and they're spending tens of millions of dollars. I mean, when they have their their report to the 
to the membership. And, you know, and, and when they come in and, and have these board meetings, they're talking about literally tens of millions of dollars that keeps getting spent. Money that ought to be going to fight for your Second Amendment rights instead is, is being used to defend litigation. Now, look, you don't have to have done anything wrong to get sued in this country. And for instance, the, the major lawsuit they're facing, they've spent a, a ton of money on, is by the New York Attorney General, Letitia James. And you sh- you've seen what she's done going after Trump, which has just been ridiculous. Um, and, and is she a political animal motivated primarily by animus toward conservative causes, including the Second Amendment? Absolutely. Make no mistake. That's who Letitia James is. At the same time, NRA's brought some of this on itself based on what it's done with your money and my money. And there are reports of Wayne LaPierre with accounts at, at very expensive men's stores. And we're talking Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. And spending tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on his own clothing line and billing that to NRA. Taking luxury vacations and leasing yachts. Going to the Caribbean. Spending a lot more money that you and I than you and I can afford to go spend on a vacation. And they're doing that with NRA money. And look, they may say, hey, look, they're entertaining legislators or, or you know, this is all productive and they're getting good things done. Uh, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't smell like that. It smells like bilking the organization to put money in their own pocket and live a lifestyle that they want to live. Hey, I'd love... To, to go to some men's store and on 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 Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills and and buy some custom made suits. I don't know if they'd have anything on Beverly Hills that would be as conservative as I like to for my suits to be. But if hey, if they're fully custom, we could make them what we make them. I can't afford to do that. Uh, but Beverly, but 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 Wayne Lapierre did. Right there in Beverly Hills with your money and my money. And 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 on that basis, a lot of people have been very upset with him. And and it's led to this lawsuit in New York because what Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, is doing is challenging the nonprofit status of NRA. Saying, look, this thing is not a true nonprofit in the sense that it exists for the benefit of its members. It's existing for the benefit of its leadership who are leading lifestyles they shouldn't be leading on NRA funds, with NRA funding. And and on that basis, it shouldn't be granted nonprofit status, which has an effect on how you pay taxes and whatnot, because they don't operate as a nonprofit, because these people are getting rich. In the process. And look, do I think that's exaggerated? No doubt about it. Do I think Letitia James is motivated in large part because she despises the Second Amendment? You bet. Has she weaponized the litigation process uh, because she despises what NRA stands for in terms of an organization fighting for Second Amendment rights? No doubt. But the NRA also gave her a whole bunch of ammunition, no pun intended by how they've spent your money and mine. And a lot of people have been upset with that. And and look, there's been intrigue going on in the very leadership of NRA for quite some time. In 2019, a lot of this unfolded right here in Indianapolis. 
if you remember, we were hosting the NRA annual meeting in April of 2019. And at the time, Ollie North was president of NRA. Wayne LaPierre was still executive vice president and CEO. So Wayne was in charge, but Ollie was a close number two. And you remember who Ollie North is. He gained a lot of fame during the the so-called Iran-Contra scandal. They were selling weapons to Iran and diverting those funds to the Sandinistas who were fighting, or excuse me, to more um, right-wing rebels, uh, the Sandinistas, uh, who were fighting left-wing organizations in, 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 in Nicaragua. And so, and a lot of people looked at that as simply being patriotic and him doing the right thing and being a little creative in how he got his funding. Other people looked at it as a violation of federal law. He did get convicted on, on, on some charges and, and had those convictions overturned, by the way, on appeal. But he was a kind of a famous guy, and a lot of people were excited. A lot of see him saw a lot of people saw him as a true patriot. A lot of people were excited to see him come in as president of NRA. But he clearly had a big dispute with Wayne Lapierre that unfolded right here in Indianapolis, because he came for that Saturday. In fact, I saw him and spoke to him, but then left, and he apparently had tried to force Wayne Lapierre out. In fact, LaPierre announced that that Ollie North had threatened to reveal um, harmful information about Wayne to the board of directors if Wayne didn't quit. And Ollie was trying to use this whole process with the board of directors to have Wayne voted out. And, you know, the old saying, "He, he who shoots at the king must kill him played out perfectly because Ollie apparently made a power play to force Wayne out. Wayne didn't go for it, fought Ollie tooth and nail, and Ollie then announced that he was being forced to leave instead. And in fact, another senior member of senior management of NRA, right on the stage, right here in Indianapolis, read a letter from Ollie North saying that he was leaving because he'd been forced out, because he still had very dire concerns about the management of NRA and Wayne LaPierre. So you had all this castle intrigue, and Explicitly or implicitly, a, a, a lot of pointing of fingers at Wayne LaPierre saying, you've been doing inappropriate things, and you need to leave on that basis. Well, hell, that was almost five years ago. And only now, after a lot of the same information is coming out in this litigation in New York, is is Wayne LaPierre leaving. So do I think this is a good thing? Yes. Do I think it should have happened years ago? Absolutely. Do I think Wayne LaPierre has caused the NRA to suffer in, in its in its in its prestige, its effectiveness, uh, and its funding, its resources, and its economics. Absolutely. Have they gotten embroiled in litigation that should have been resolved long ago if NRA hadn't provided Letitia James with so damn much ammunition, so much cannon fodder to proceed with that litigation? And that trial starts Monday. And I do not think it is a coincidence that Wayne LaPierre resigned as NRA on the Friday preceding the Monday beginning of that trial in New York. And I think a lot of evidence is going to come out that's going to be extremely embarrassing to members of NRA. So, look, I'm glad the the top management's being reorganized. I'm going, glad Wayne LaPierre is gone. But I also want to say that, that this is why I have also the, a love component in my 
view of NRA, my relationship with NRA, because NRA right here on the ground in Indiana has been fabulous. A lot of times for years, before I founded the 2A project, I'd go to a hearing on, on some pro-2A bill, like one of the early iterations of constitutional carry on my self-defense immunity bill that we got passed in 2019 on the church carry bill that we got passed in 2019. For a lot of years, I'd go to these meetings and it'd be me, the NRA rep who had responsibility for Indiana. They typically have responsibility for several states, six or seven states. But we've had great representation from NRA right here in Indiana, the folks responsible for Indiana. Dr. Chris Kapaki was our representative from NRA for a long time. He ended up getting promoted out of that job as he as he deserved to. And he was fabulous. John Weber, who's been on the show from NRA, has been great. We were talking about hardworking, smart people who put in the time, the effort. And they're at the state house, man. I know because I'm there and I see them. And they're participating in those incredibly early morning conference calls and showing up late at night after a session to discuss strategy. And they're putting the time and the effort in, and they've done a fabulous job. And they've accomplished a lot. I don't think we would have gotten our church carry bill passed. I just got a private message on social media saying, what the hell is the church carry bill? I will respond to that when we come back. But I'm not sure we would have gotten any of those things done with that NRA. And one of the big reasons I formed the 2A project is I saw the problems unfolding at NRA. I saw them starting to lose membership and lose credibility. And I was really worried about losing momentum right here in Indiana on things like constitutional care. I did not want to allow that to happen. That's why I formed the 2A project. And listen, on constitutional carry, NRA was here working hard and, and were a tremendous help. But the people who showed up, people who attended the hearings, people who sent the emails, people who, who made the phone calls to the representatives and senators' offices, that was the listeners of the, the Gun Guy Show and members of the 2A project. And we were right up front. And the legislators involved in that process give the 2A project a whole hell of a lot of credit for being right up front in supporting that. But that's in part because we're local and we can bring that support to bear. But NRA was right there shoulder to shoulder and working their asses off. And that was with the local reps. And so don't ever lose sight, as frustrated as we can be with NRA at the national level, the fact that they're going to be restructured at the top end. You know, the Castle intrigue from 2019 didn't play out as I wish it would have. I wish it would have resulted in Wayne LaPierre leaving. But now he's gone now. He's gone now after almost five years, and I think that's probably 10 years later than it should have happened, if not more. But don't lose sight of what great things NRA has done here locally, and don't lose sight of how many people have been trained in marksmanship and gun safety by NRA instructors. I've been an NRA-certified instructor for, I don't know, 25 years plus. And, 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 and our NRA instructors teach tens if not hundreds of thousands of people every year on gun safety and marksmanship. And those are bringing future generations into uh, not only uh, self-defense type carrying, but the shooting sports and, and others. Uh, NRA sponsors uh, various shooting sport events. The NRA Competition Center right now is, uh, is down at Camp Atterbury. And they put a beautiful facility in down there. And that's from NRA. So let's don't lose sight of the great things they've done and the benefit they've had even right here in Indiana for our gun rights. And let's hope at the national level, 
uh, they get their act together. I think the developments of yesterday are a big step in the right direction. In the meantime, we're well past the quarter hour, so we're taking a break. I'm going to go back to your calls when we come back, 317-239-9393. What are your feelings on NRA right now? If you let your membership lapse, are you inclined to join them again? Uh, and by the way, you can join the 2A Project and the NRA. There's nothing wrong with I'm a member of NRA, and I founded the 2A Project. Uh, nothing wrong with uh, being members of both, particularly uh, when the NRA is out there to fight for us on the national level. But how, how do you feel about those issues? Give us a call. Join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Now, you've got a gun guy. Guy Relford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So I, I was talking about the church carry bill that we also got passed here in, uh, in Indiana in 2019, where the NRA really was tremendous help. And uh, I had a, somebody on social media ask me what the heck that is, and, I, and I'd love to explain it. I talk about this a lot in my gun law class, but uh, church carry, what are we talking about? There's never been a law in Indiana, at least in my lifetime, and I'm damn old, um, that says it's against the law to carry a gun in a church. However, there's a law that says um, that it's illegal to carry a gun on school property. And school property in Indiana is defined as property owned, leased, uh, managed by a school corporation or a, a, a private, public, or parochial school. And it's also defined as that any property that's included on the same land or co-owned with a school. So how many churches, well, let's talk about Catholic church. How many Catholic churches have a parochial school on the same grounds? Well, all, what, all of them? Um, or at least a whole bunch. Uh, how many other churches have a, a school on the same grounds or in the same building? And that includes a licensed daycare. Now, there's a separate process for churches um, to get to have daycare, um, but if it's licensed by the state as a daycare, that counts as a school. And then K through 12, well, how many churches have schools on the same grounds or in, even in the same building? That makes the church school property. And it doesn't matter that the school isn't in session. Let's say there's a parochial school on the same grounds with a Catholic church. It doesn't matter that there are no kids in there on Saturday or Sunday when they're holding services in the church. It doesn't matter that the school's empty. If there's a school on the same property, the church is, is, is school property. And the law says you can't carry a gun into a school. So it's been kind of ridiculous for a lot of years and something we fought hard to pass. In fact, the first bill on this that I saw was filed by Senator Jack Sandlin who's been somebody really fighting hard out there for Second Amendment rights for a lot of years. He's got a law enforcement background, and we just lost Senator Sandlin here this last year. And that's that's very sad on a personal level because he's a good guy. He was just a great guy and, and a strong advocate for Second Amendment rights. 
But he filed a bill some number of years ago, what we called the church carry bill, that said, even if there's a school on the same grounds, if you're attending church, specifically a worship service or a religious ceremony in a house of worship, even though it's on school property because there's a school in the same building or on the same grounds, you can carry your gun in the church. And, and this is important. Why? Well, how many mass shootings have we seen in churches? I mean, Sutherland Springs, 20-some people just mowed down. And by the way, at the time in Texas, it was illegal to have a gun in that church. So people sitting around unarmed, guy walks in there with a rifle, killed 20-some people. And, and only an armed citizen that lived nearby who heard the shooting, grabbed his own AR-15, ran out, had a running gunfight with a bad guy, chased the bad guy in a vehicle, and ended up shooting and killing him. They were a, a shot he had fired ended up being the fatal shot of that bad guy. But multiple people murdered in a church. Jack Wilson was a hero in White Settlement, Texas, where a guy came in with a shotgun, started killing people, killed two people. And Jack made a headshot with one shot from 45 feet away, shooting over a bunch of screaming congregants in the church. So an armed citizen saved the day. And that's just two that come to me off the top of my head. We've seen many other shootings, including mass shootings in churches. There are people who want to kill you. There are people that want to murder you just because of how you worship. And if they hate you on on a religious basis, and that could be based on ideology, it could be based on the fact they're just a lunatic, that they're psychotic. But if they hate you based on how and who you worship, they know right where to find you. So is it important to be able to defend your, yourself and your, and your family when you're in church? Absolutely. For years, it was a felony to carry into a lot of churches. They were considered school property. Well, in 2019, we got that changed. And the so-called church carry bill was passed that says if you're attending a worship service or a religious ceremony in a house of worship, even if that house of worship is located on school property, you're legal to have your gun there. Or if you're an employee or a volunteer for the house of worship that happens to be on school property, you're legal to have your gun there. So church security teams, a lot of times for years, I would, I've done training of church security teams. They've come to me and said, hey, we want you to do our training. I said, great, you're going to have an armed security team. Yes, we are. Well, let me ask you, is there a school on the same property with your church? Yes, there is. Do you have permission from the school board to have guns in the church? And they looked at me and they said, why would we have to go to the school board? That's the school. We're the church. I said, because one of the only exceptions to having a gun on school property, uh, that being a crime to have guns on school property, is if you've been authorized by the school board to have guns on school property. So you have to go to the school board, even though they're the school people and you're the church people, you got to go to the school board and get permission to have a gun in the church. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Why does the law say that? I said, well, we're trying to get that changed, but that's what it says right now. Well, in 2019, we got that we got that passed and got that changed. And so now if you're attending a worship service or a religious ceremony in the house of worship, even if it is school property because there's a school in the same building or on the same property, you're legal to have your gun. 
in that worship service or uh, while you're acting as an employee or volunteer for the house of worship. Now, it does say religious ceremony or worship service. So I've had people call me and say, well, what about a wedding? (laughs) I always say the same thing. I go, well, it's in a church, so make sure if somebody mentions God, let's, 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 let's make sure we talk about the big guy. And I'll say that uh, to be flippant, uh, my dad retired at age 88 as a Methodist minister, so I grew up in the church. But make sure it's uh, it can be it can be described as a religious ceremony of some type, even though it's not a classic uh, worship service because it's a wedding and a funeral the same way. And that's a big change because now millions of literally millions of people in Indiana, uh, where they go to worship, well, it was illegal. It was a felony for them to carry a gun before and uh and now it's legal and that was a change we made in 2019 and 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 jack sandlin did not author the bill that we ultimately got passed uh ben smaltz uh representative from auburn wrote that particular bill but in large part it was based on earlier iterations of the same bill uh, entered in the senate by senator jack sandlin and uh and i still think of that bill as a big tribute to him um and now that we've lost him i think that's even uh, more important. Well, you know, if we have time, we'll talk more about this legislative session and uh, and what, uh, what 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 we see coming up, both on the pro two anti pro pro two a and anti two a uh, side of things. Um, but also, I mentioned the uh, self defense immunity bill. We also got passed two thousand nineteen. Just got several questions. Uh, asking me what that is and could I please explain and how does that protect Hoosiers? Uh, I'm always happy to talk about that law because because uh, I wrote it. Uh, it was introduced and championed by Representative uh, Jim Lucas, who did a great job. Uh, NRA was fabulous support as well. Uh, but I wrote it and it was based on several uh, uh, actual lawsuits that I defended. And, um, and I just got yesterday... Uh, uh, an order that really makes me feel good because it's putting that law into action to not only get a particular frivolous lawsuit dismissed, but also get the attorney's fees back uh, from my client, from the person who filed that frivolous lawsuit. So I'll explain more about that and how that works when we come back. And we want to continue to take your calls for the rest of the show. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. He's a Second Amendment attorney. He's an NRA certified firearms instructor. He's the gun guy. Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Ralford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. I'm talking about the self-defense immunity bill that we also got passed 2019. This a lot of fun for me to talk about again. I like to brag on it because uh, I wrote it. But it was based on, on some litigation, some cases that I actually defended. And I've now defended um, more than a handful. I could, the number's now eight uh, people that have that have taken a human life, but it completely justifiably and, and completely legally because they were defending their own lives or defending other innocent lives. In fact, all of them, looking back on what they did, are heroes who put themselves in harm's way, typically to defend other people. I mean, I... Uh, represented in civil litigation, I represented the hero of uh, Rob shooting, uh, Rob shooting, an, an armed robbery that he prevented at the uh, Kroger. I believe it's at 71st in Georgetown. 
And there was an armed robbery going on. Guy came in, said he had a gun, uh, was robbing the place, was trying to force a female employee back into an office for who knows what reason. And my client was an assistant manager of the store, challenged the bad guy. Bad guy then charged at my client who drew a gun and defended himself and and saved likely uh, his life and, and the lives of other uh, Kroger employees at the time. Um, I represented a gentleman uh, who was the hero who stopped a mass shooting in Brownsburg just a couple, three years ago, where a guy going through a schizophrenic breakdown had um, had stopped traffic, actually stopped his car in the, in the middle of 56th Street as he was driving west on 56 into Brownsburg because, he, he, again, he was suffering a mental breakdown, saw some cemetery workers, decided that they were some kind of demons, and uh, just slammed his, his car into park, jumped out of his car, ran into the cemetery, and killed one of these cemetery workers, who were lifelong friends, by the way, grew up together, you know, got this job together, and he was chasing the other guy, actually shooting at him as they're running through traffic. And my client, from a seated position from inside his car, shooting through the window that he had he had rolled down, um, stopped that murder in, in process. And who knows how many other people this guy would have killed, because he clearly was suffering this horrendous breakdown. That guy, by the way, that hero, was a graduate of my Essentials of Indiana gun law class and followed my recommendations 100% on what you say and what you do after being involved in a self-defense shooting. And it all played out uh, very much to his benefit. As we talk about aftermath and what you say and what you do immediately after having been involved in a self-defense scenario, and that, 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 was, that was awesome. He did not get sued. Um, in large part, his name was never released to the public. But uh, that was also after the self-defense immunity bill had gone into effect. And I'd like to think the bill was one of the reasons he did not get sued. Because it happened many years earlier, before we had that bill in place, the hero at Kroger did get sued. And several other of my clients did as well. That's why they became my clients, because they were getting sued. And the, the, the situation that really propelled the bill forward that I wrote was was really motivated in large part, it was by my historical experience with these litigation, with this type of litigation, but it was a particular case involving my client, Kisty Janin. Janin was her name at the time. And she was a single mom and had two teenage, teenage daughters. She's she saving for, for them to go to college. And she heroically saved the life of a police officer who was in a battle for his life because he got... He got he got assaulted, got attacked by a guy uh, high on drugs, meth, and several other drugs during a traffic stop that occurred and played out literally right in Kisty's front yard. She sees this unfolding, sees the officer go down, sees the bad guy on top of the officer. They're now wrestling over the officer's gun, and the officer's losing. The gun's coming around. It's about to be pointed at the officer's face with the bad guy's finger on the trigger. And they're fighting over this gun. Kisty grabs her gun, runs out there, screaming for the bad guy to get off the cop. Get off him, get off him, stop, stop. The guy doesn't. Officer's about to lose his life. Kisty fires one shot and ended the threat. And saved that police officer's life. And the police called her a hero. That officer whose life was saved clearly called her a hero. The prosecutor's office called her a hero. She was not prosecuted, obviously, for a crime because she was a hero. She saved a life. What she did was completely justified under our self-defense statute. But she still got sued. She got sued for millions of dollars. 
by some scumball plaintiff's attorney who, who said she overreacted and her use of force was not justified, implying that she was just a hysterical female who uh, overreacted to a situation where she just saw a couple of guys tussling. No, she saw a police officer about to get shot in the face with his own gun, and she saved his life, but she got sued over it. And when, when Kisty hired me, she actually um, had a GoFundMe set up by the local FOP down there, the Fraternal Order of Police. They called it Kisty's Best Defense because they wanted to find the best lawyer they could, they could find for her. And they then called the NRA in Virginia and said, we want a self-defense lawyer in Indiana, and I'm proud to say they recommended me. And so I obviously took that case. I was proud to take that case. And I told Kisty early on, I said, you know what? Not only are we going to get this silly case dismissed, but we're going to use this case as, as, a, as, as, as exhibit number one to get this law changed. And we're going we're gonna to write an immunity bill. I'm going to write it. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, we're we're going to get it filed. Jim Lucas, again, filed it and, and was a hero to get it pushed through. But we're going to show how ridiculous this, this is but you, because you can be fully justified and still get sued, that's not the way it should be. With that, let's take a break here. Uh, We come back, I'll finish that story, and how uh, not only did we get that passed 2019, but how that just played out to get an award of attorney's fees in a self-defense shooting situation that I just received yesterday. Actually, it was issued yesterday. I didn't see the order until I stopped by my office to print my sign-up sheet uh, for the class I was teaching today. So I was at my office very early and saw this order had been issued by the court, just issued yesterday. And it's a big victory. It's a big victory for gun owners, and it's a big disincentive for lawyers to file lawsuits where someone has been fully justified and legal in using force and self-defense or the defense of others. That's how we'll wrap the show up when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. Well, welcome back for the last segment here of The Gun Guy Show. And it's going to be another short one uh, since I, I, as I'm prone to do, I went a little long on couple of the, the segments here of this show but um so what is the self-defense immunity bill we have here in indiana now it's the strongest immunity bill self-defense immunity bill in the country and what it says is if you're justified in using force to defend yourself or a third person you can't be sued for that and if someone's trying to commit a forcible felony or or unlawfully cause serious bodily injury to someone and you use force that's justified in self-defense or defense of another person and that person then files a lawsuit against you or their estate if they're deceased, as happened in the Kissy Janin situation, the as happened in the Kroger situation, and several. So the bad guys shot and killed in lawful and justified force in self-defense or defense of third persons, and their personal representative, their estate, files a lawsuit. There's a mechanism in the statute, because you have immunity in that situation, especially where you're not prosecuted for a crime, there's a mechanism to have that case dismissed early on what's called summary judgment. So the defendant doesn't have to spend a whole bunch of money and years and years of litigation to defend a frivolous lawsuit. And therefore, the settlement leverage goes away for the plaintiff. But then, if it's dismissed on the basis of the immunity... Or tried and the defendant wins on the basis of immunity, then there's a mandatory attorney's fees award. And the plaintiffs who filed the lawsuit actually have to reimburse the attorney's fees of the defendant. And what did I get early this morning in my email? 
from a court right here in Marion County, uh, a court order awarding uh, attorney's fees to my client who acted in self-defense, and we got a case dismissed against them. So that's a happy ending. Right, This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.